podcast, a podcast about music, health, wellness, and activism that will help you to find balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness. I'm your host, Jazzy Piggott, a tuba player, composer, certified personal trainer, writer, educator, and podcaster based in Baltimore, Maryland. In this week's episode, I talk with trumpeter and life coach Ashley Hall. To read her bio, Ashley Hall is a professional trumpeter, music educator, and life coach. She manages the career coaching program at the Longview School of Music at Bard College and is on the trumpet faculty. Ashley is passionate about helping artists become the most integrated and whole versions of themselves. She strives to always connect deeply, live joyfully, and embrace vulnerability and opportunities to grow. She has been married to her husband, Nate, for 12 years and has two amazing kids, Morgan and Kevin, and a sweet dog named Pippa. We talk about a lot in this episode, including balancing work, home life, the joys of mentoring and performing, life coaching, tips for finding your path, using routines to create a foundation, social media and mental health, performing anxiety, beta blockers, and self-love. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, so I guess just tell me about yourself a little bit first so the audience knows who you are. Sure. Well, first, I just want to say how honored I am to be here and to know you and to hear your story and to see you and the work that you're doing. So just thank you for the platform that you are building and the way that you're sharing your life and your music with so much authenticity. Just wanted to start there. Um, So I guess the professional things are that I'm a um, trumpet soloist, a chamber musician, um, trumpet professor, and a certified life coach. And then the non-professional things are I'm a mom of a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, a girl and a boy, and wife to an amazing guy that I've been married to for 13 years. And I just turned 40, and it's this new chapter in my life where um, I'm excited for for possibilities and what and and who I'm becoming, and for the integration of all of these different roles. That's really where I feel like I am personally and professionally. So that's a little about me. Okay. How do you manage all of those things, especially with having children too? I'm just like, how do you find time? <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, when I think about integration, I really do think about how can I bring my kids into self-discovery, into exercise, into balance, into routine? Um, how do I live out what it means for me to be healthy, to show them that, um, that we have to take time for ourselves. And so I'll, I'll just give you an example. When our kids were really little, we didn't believe in, in like formal timeout, like you go to timeout. But what we did believe in is this space where any of us, myself, my husband, my kids could take some time out to go and think and to be, and to process and to sit with our feelings. And that it wasn't just a like, were the parents, we put you there. It was this mom, (laughs) here's your journal. You need to go take a chill and go sit over there and have some space. So we've been trying to think about 
I, I didn't always get that when I was a kid. Um, and so I've been trying to think about this way of living and of exercise and of music making that's, that's cultural. That's just a part of who we are and what we do and the kind of routines and flow of life. Um, <laughs> but I don't get the quiet and the, um, time at the gym and all the things that I, I used to get prior to kids. So I've had to be a lot more creative since having these two wonderful little, we call them our little Zen masters <laughs> that rub on all of our edges. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what do you enjoy most about being a professor and performer? So my favorite thing about being a trumpet professor or just a professor in general is I would say it's called artistic incubation. I love being with students who are discovering who they are as, as people and discovering what their voice is capable of and what their instrument can do and helping them really draw out. If I were to bring forth uh my ver my best version of who I am in the world, what would that look like? What would recitals look like? What would I be doing? So for me as a professor, I'm, I never saw myself as kind of the pedagogical trumpet teacher, the one who's going to, you know, <laughs> hold students to, did you check off all 12 of your major scales? And did you do all of your Clark studies? And did you do this, but this, who are you becoming now? What was interesting to you artistically this week? Um, what things are you drawn to creatively and how might you integrate that into your musical practice? Um, so I'm a very unique trumpet professor in that way. Um, I, like I said, I, I see myself much more as a, as a partner in artistic incubation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's like a perspective I've never heard before. So <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, I have this one student who really has, has shown this about me. Um, they came in to lessons with me, of course, wanting to get better at the trumpet, but really wanting to cultivate projects and who they are as this mindfulness musical healer and in incorporating both dance and trumpet and, and visual art and an expansive use of, of space. And so every lesson was just this back and forth of them getting to share what they're thinking and me getting to share. This is how that came across to me. Was that your intention? And I realized that's really where I'm the most alive in as, as a, as a coach, like professor. Um, yeah. And then I would say too, as a performer, the thing that has been the hardest for me about the pandemic is that performing for me and music making just in a general sense is about human connection, mm. period. And so I, I've started to talk about this more and more because I think not enough artists have talked about how it was really difficult to shift out of this, you know, performing and engaging with humans to this isolation period that we went through and still find ourselves in to some extent of, of unknowns. And I realized very quickly at the, in the early stages of the pandemic that, you know, recording with a click track and making these little like Zoom box recordings, I did a couple of them, but it just wasn't for me, my why for music making. And so I gave myself the permission to really just take time off. I didn't really touch the trumpet other than warming up with my students on Zoom. Um, I really probably didn't practice for maybe six months of the pandemic. Um, and it was the, this 
acknowledgement of this is still really important to me, but doing this in this way isn't exactly the way that I want to spend my musical life. So I'm going to connect in this coaching way that I have been you know, cultivating over the last few years. And then when music making makes its return in the way that I love, which is sharing joy and authenticity and both from the trumpet sense, but also from the talking sense with an audience that I would be ready for that when it came back to. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I've been learning, I guess, I've been really thankful the last three months I got to reform a lot again and it rekindled this. Oh yeah, I do love this. And now as one of my concerts this weekend got canceled, I'm holding space again for, for what is what's next. Um, how can I continue to, to practice and to hone my craft and to acknowledge that, you know, each week may look a little different and I can choose in this moment, what feels really important and what feels really intentional. Um, yeah. So that's just a little about me and some of my journey with the performing side, but I would say it's been great to be back and I'm holding it loosely. <laughs> okay. So what's exactly is your, your business, um, coaching the whole musician? Yeah, sure. So, um, let's go back a few steps and let me tell you a little bit about how I found life coaching. And then I'll tell you about the brand coaching the whole musician. So it was probably, um, it was a little after my daughter was born. So it was probably eight years ago when I started to ask myself the question, if trumpet is going to be a part of my life, but there might be more that I want to have as a part of my career and life, what would that look like? What would I want to be doing? And I am a kind of a self-help junkie. I read a lot of self-help books and love reading them. And it's, and especially Renee Brown and her books have been super helpful. I know for you as well. Um, and the book, the gifts of imperfection changed my life, literally changed my life. And like you and your story, um, I took a break from performing because I realized that for me, picking up a trumpet somehow in that moment wasn't connected to this authentic joy that I am as a, as a human. And I needed to take some break from the perfectionistic drive of performing and competing in order to do some deeper work on, on my soul, on my heart, on my being. And so I did cognitive behavioral therapy, which I know you've shared, um, that has been, was extremely helpful in helping me reframe and shape and develop new ways of looking at performing and the trumpet and my life as a whole. And in that time, I also realized that this was also my work to do as well. And that although um, I wanted to be doing this work deeply in and of myself as a, as a human and as a performer, that this is also the work I wanted to be doing with artists. Because I think we, in our formal training, don't often spend enough time really looking at who we are as whole musicians, as whole humans, really. And I saw, at least in my academic jobs, um, a real need and a yearning in so many students to have space to think and to process and to be with their emotions and to be asked really thoughtful questions as they're cultivating their craft of who are you and what matters to you. And if you could shape a career that's aligned with what you value, what would that look like? So I started 
my first iteration of all of this, what would I do next, um, took me down the psychology route. And I started a, an additional kind of minor in clinical psych just to get all the classes so that I could go into a master's in marriage and family therapy, thinking that I would go the therapy direction um, and loved it, but quickly realized that for me as a aspirational, joyful, and deeply empathetic human, spending a whole bunch of time in the past wasn't always what made me feel super alive. And when I found coaching, and I'll tell you how in a second, um, it felt like the most resonant fit to who I am naturally. So I was starting my master's in, in clinical um, marriage and family therapy. And when my family and I were moving back to Boston, I reached out to the president at the Longy School of Music, which is the place I did my artist diploma. And I said, you know, the things I'm seeing on your website are really interesting to me. The curriculum with this sense of student agency at its core and helping students develop the artists that they already are and drawing out who they are as people is, is really what I'm seeing that we need in the music field. Um, where can I slot in? Where can I fit in? Um, this is the work I'm really passionate about doing. And at the time, the um, president, who's still our president, Karen Zorn, she said, you know, we want to start a coaching program here. We found an organization that can train um, all of our institution, really, in the way and the ethos of coaching, which is essentially that we assume that every human that comes through our door, every human that we engage with um, on staff and faculty is innately capable and whole. We assume that the answers that um, they are seeking already are within them and that our job, if we adopt this way of being with our students and with each other, is to draw out the innate answers by asking questions and allowing them to be the experts on themselves. And so we need someone to build and become a life coach and manage this program and create this, this thing that we think is going to be kind of the thread that's going to tie together this new curriculum. Would you be interested in that? <laughs> and so I walked out um, of her office that day and I told my husband, I was like, I think I just got handed kind of a dream job, a, a, a next step that feels so completely aligned with the prep work that I had been doing for the last eight years into this new space of my own expansion as a professional, as a coach, um, as a professor. And so I said yes, and I got to build, this is my third year with the program at Longy, um, build this program that really helps our, our, our student artists to think of themselves as whole, as fully whole with their own answers coming in the door and then holding up basically as coaches, we hold up a mirror and we just say, you know, our job is to be your cheerleader and your partner, e equal partner, and to help you see that these beautiful things that are already inside of you are, are ready to come out. So what would that look like? what classes would you take in order to help you cultivate and grow those things? Um, and so, you know, it's been amazing because the work I started with the students at Longy has then grown into the external space as well. And so as I started talking more and more about the transformations that I was seeing in hundreds of students that have come through Longy since I've been there, um, I started realizing that more musicians need this too. And so um, I, through Longy and through, you know, um, the support of so many amazing friends launched Coaching the Whole Musician, which is linked to Longy um, since I'm still full-time staff there um, and 
I so believe in the work that I'm doing there. It's been such a nice fusion of being able to take on more um, clients in the formal sense um, who want to uh, learn um, who they are and draw out these answers and to really get deep in there with this aspirational way of looking at who you are today and where you want to go. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about coaching the whole musician and where it is now. And um, it's been really meaningful and fun work to have in addition to the work that I do as the director of this really super cool program at Longy. Yeah, that's, that's a very nice story. Like, I'm glad you were able to do that and just start that program and make sure that people have that access to that because most other music schools don't talk about it like, at all. Exactly. And I think, you know, the more I've talked about it at these conferences, the more I've been sensing that music direct music schools are going to be moving in this direction, that all of us, we're seeing the mental health crisis. We're seeing the need for wellness initiatives. I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing the conversations happening. Um, but I think, you know, <laughs> we've got to be a little bit more proactive on the, uh, on, in the earlier stages of inviting you know, young artists into this deeper relationship with themselves and this, this loving relationship with themselves and their craft. So that then just like you, I think you're 24, right? Isn't that what you said? Yeah. At 24, you're like, this is, this is my path, this integrated, beautiful arts and healing and, you know, personal training and right. All these parts of you are coming together. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I hope more music schools take that on and um, yeah, can help artists just like you to, to see that this multifaceted, expansive way of viewing ourselves is the only way forward, truly. Right. So what exactly is the difference between like a life coach and a therapist? Because I feel like yeah. they're, but they're also different. Right. I mean, the primary thing is that in life coaching, we don't tend to focus much on the past. So the past and dealing with trauma and dealing with all the things that had happened um, is really the work of a therapist. Truly, the training for life coaching is a little shorter than the training to be a, a fully credentialed therapist. Um, although, you know, if you go through what I did is develop some training and then went through the International Coaching Federation in order to become accredited. And so there's lots of people who hold the title of life coach who've done just, you know, a, a small course and they have a, a credential, but haven't gone through the, the testing process and the um, mentor coaching and the really looking deeply into um, have you developed some core competency skills. Um, and so that's what I've been building over the last couple of years. Um, but I would say, I say this a lot on Instagram is that there's, um, it can be really important for people to have both a coach and a therapist because they're, they're different ways of unearthing, um, important things to bring healing. Um, and that I would say I have clients who have both a coach and a therapist. And I have people who worked with a therapist and did all this work and are ready really to look at this aspirational side of where do I want to go? And I'm in a place where I'm ready to think about possibilities. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the initial work that I do, even in the intake side of working with new people is really assessing what's going to be the right 
fit for this person where they are right now in their life? Is it, is it a combo? Is it therapy? Um, I even had someone say to me recently, I want to continue doing coaching, but I feel like coaching is two steps ahead of where I need to be spending time right now, which is in this, this therapy stuff. So yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Cool. And how does someone determine whether or not they have like a good life coach? Like, is it kind of like therapy where you should go to multiple therapists first and then decide? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. So it's got to feel like a fit. It has to feel, you know, I often say, if you feel like you're able to share the deepest parts of you and that this, this person draws out all of these things that you know are inside, but you never have shared with someone, then that's probably a really good indication that it's a great fit. Um, I always tell people to, to shop around and to feel, you know, if this person's energy is a good match for you, or if this person in the way that they meet you um, in the moment um, has this um, way of unlocking the things that are inside. Um, but really for me, at least, and from the, the, the clients who have shopped around say it's, it's truly about that gut feeling of, yeah, I really think that this is the person I'm supposed to do this work with for now. Um, it's that being present in the moment feeling of this feels right. It feels confirmed and resonant with me. Yeah. Okay. And then do you recommend life coaches to everybody or is it just for people who don't know what they're doing or? <laughs> I mean, I think life coaching is helpful for everybody, truly. Um, you know, and there's going to be times where if you're working with a life coach and you're like, you know, Ooh, I'm getting into this stuff that feels like it's in the realm of therapy. A good life coach would say like, you know, have you spoken to your therapist about some of that? Cause that's not in my, um, in the realm of what I do. Um, but I would say, you know, especially in the, in the times that we are in right now, where I feel like there's been so much shifting and there's been so much reevaluating and there's been so much, who am I? And I don't even know this pandemic has done so many things to all of us that we're all feeling like we're in this tenuous, like, uh, I don't know what's happening. Um, life coaching can be really helpful because it really is about meeting each person exactly where they are with the things that, that, um, they want to talk about. The agenda is always set by the client, not by the coach. Um, sometimes I'll have people who want to come in and work on, you know, negative debil debilitating self-talk or imposter syndrome and how that's shown up. And other times I'll have people who are ready to jump in with goals, but we always in the model that I coach in, it's called the start with heart model. And we always start from the heart, which is from the values place. And if we don't start there, it can easily become quite cerebral. It can be this, I'm doing this external thing and checking off a box, but we're not getting into the deeper level of intrinsic motivation and positive emotional attractors, which is really going to lead to sustainable change. So whenever someone comes in with this, I want to do a CD project, or I want to do a revamp on my website, or I want to, you know, lose a hundred pounds or whatever it is, we get, start to go, what's the deeper why? What's going to be the thing that is going to actually lead to this feeling of, yes, I am going to go on that 30 minute run today. And yes, this really matters to me because for me getting stronger, this is mine, uh, rock climbing means I can keep up with my amazing nine-year-old daughter who is already schooling me on the rock climbing wall. <laughs> right. So it's this like, it's a little external, but it's also, I want to be a empowered strong woman that 
that can do things alongside my kids. Um, and that, you know, is a part of my own value system too. So, um, yeah, it always starts from the heart. That's what I always say is, you know, we in society, I think tend to jump into like the, I'm just going to go join a gym or I'm just going to put in this external thing. That's going to make me do the thing. But, um, as I said, sustainable change is really going to only happen if it, if it's deep from our core. Okay. So do you have any tips for people who might not have really a passion or a direction or any sort of career goal right now, like how they might be able to find that? Hmm. I mean, you've talked about this a little bit too. I know Um, there's some questions that can often help people draw out. I'll put it in quotes, air quotes, their why, their deeper sense of who they are. And I've heard you say this too, Jazzy. It's It's if you were at a function in five years and you heard someone talking about you and the work that you do and the person that you are in the world, what are some things that you hope that you hear them say? (laughs) Something simple like that. That's challenging to do because it, I think so often we don't spend a lot of time. I'll, I'll say like championing ourselves and thinking about, you know, I hope that they say that I'm genuine and authentic and really present with people. I hope that they say that I can play the trumpet, but not in a sense that, you know, that um, uh, put makes others feel like they're not enough, but brings somebody else into this, this process of, oh my gosh, I wonder what my, my things are. I wonder how I can connect, you know? So just thinking about it in terms of this deeper, what do I hope that people say? What do I want to be in the world? Not just what do I want to do, but what do I want to be about? If people were to describe me in terms of what they see, in terms of my values, what would they say? And then another one that really can help people too is to, there's a few, we do these values visualizations that, that help people to think about peak experiences in their lives, good ones and not good ones as, um, helping them to draw out their deeper core values. So, um, I'll ask you one. (laughs) So Jazzy, um, what is one of your peak musical experiences in your life? I would say my tour to Costa Rica that I did during my junior year. What was it that was so special about that? It was my first time touring, like kind of as a solo performer and then for people of color too, because it was Costa Rica. So that was really pivotal for me. Yeah. And what would you say that it um, tapped into in terms of your, your deeper why or your deep sense of, of values in the world? I mean, I think seeing everybody's reactions, because everybody was like shocked to see a black woman playing the tuba because there was this one town there that was primarily black because they had a lot of Jamaican immigrants. So they were all like in awe when I walked up there and they got a ton of photos with me and they were just very like happy. They were singing along with the spirituals I was playing. It was just a really good experience to get to impact them. That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, so as I listen to you, I hear just this deep sense of, of seeing and being seen this deep sense of human connection through, through music. And also this, 
um, you know, love of travel and touring and adventure and music that's, that's shared. Yeah. 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 So things like that, the other, you know, thing that we often do in coaching is to think about, I won't ask you this one on air either, but uh, this is one you can do later is a time when you felt really angry or really stressed and to think about, you know, what was that moment and the details of the moment aren't necessarily so key, but it's the, what was it like poking at underneath that is this driving value of yours that, that needs to be at the center of the work and the things that you do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's lots of these, but you know, a little bit of this working with a coach and, and, and having somebody reflect back, I hear in you this and you going, yeah, that's like so central to who I am. And that, that grips me to hear someone see that in me. And then there's this ability. you talked about this a lot on this show to love these parts of you, to love the, you know, um, joy of connection and of music making and of travel and to see them as essential, to see them as a part of, of what makes you, you, and to see them as a part of your passion and the, the work you want to do in the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that great advice. <laughs> of course People listening will take that to heart of course so moving back to you how do you maintain <laughs> a good work-life balance in general I mean I've heard someone say that there's no such thing as a work-life balance it's just a work-life challenge and it's always in flux um <laughs> but I am I'm disciplined I would say I've always been really disciplined and there's a few things that are um, consistent about me. I, <laughs> I'm in this, um, electro electroacoustic trumpet ensemble. And we recently did a hashtag bio. I'll tell you why I'm telling you this story in a second. And in the hashtag bio, it's like all the hashtags of like who we are as, as a quintet of people. And the last one is hashtag Ashley doesn't hang past nine 30. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, the reason I, I bring that up is because I am adamant about getting nine hours of sleep. I just need good sleep every night. Um, and so I, it's really rare if I'm up past nine 30, if I'm not performing somewhere, um, because my kids get up early and I am not a good person if I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> um, and then a few other things that are just kind of key to my own well-being that are, are consistent in my daily routines. So I get a lot of sleep and I get up. And the first thing I do is my husband, I love him. He always has a cup of coffee ready for me because he's an anesthesiologist. So he leaves really early. So it's in this like hot thermos mug ready to go. It's my favorite thing. It's such a happy thought. And so I get my coffee ready and the kids are now trained to a point where we have, we have journal time or quiet reading time. And this is really pre, I won't look at a phone. I won't touch an electronic device. And it's, we go and sit in the living room and I have my coffee and we all get into our blankets and I'll just journal and read something spiritual, something grounding, something that's going to set me up to feel alive and alert and curious and, um, yeah, whatever it is. And then there's an element of prayer and of intention setting for the day. 
and the kids will do their own thing with that as well. I've gotten my daughter into some journaling too. Um, and she's like, mom, it's not really prayer for me yet. It's just, just writing about things. I'm like, that's it. That's all prayer is for me too. It's just a conversation really with, um, with God, which I believe is just love. And so it's this, uh, this way of me for me really almost self-coaching. Um, so that happens first. And then after that, we, we take a walk with our dog. And then after that it's breakfast and then it's group exercise. So most recently our group exercise has all we have time for, at least for now is just this little seven minute circuit. It's called seven and it's an app on your phone and it's super cheap. It's like five 99 a month. And it's just body weight, like hit circuits, 30 seconds, seven minutes, you're doing jump squats and split jumps and burpees. And, and in seven freaking minutes, you can get a lot done and you can even work up a sweat. And so for someone (laughs) that doesn't have a lot of time in a day, especially now that I have a full-time job in a formal sense, that's really a lot of, that's all the time I'm going to get. Um, otherwise I'm just going to be here at this desk or, or doing other things in a day. So we do that together. And then I walk them to school because we live pretty close to the um, school. And then as soon as I get home, um, this has been trickier over the break, but as soon as I get home, I sit down and do my trumpet warm up. Um, because now that things are going, I need to be in shape. And, and, uh, so, and it's, it is essential to me feeling like myself too. And so even if all I get is my, in my 30 minute warm up before I start my day, um, I feel like I've sort of checked the Ashley feeling whole boxes of what I know I need to feel balanced. And then whatever else happens in a day is just bonus. Um, if I get more sessions in on the trumpet, that's great. If I get to go on another walk, a long walk, that's great. Um, if I get to go rock climbing with Morgan, great. Um, but I also feel, um, like I've, I've done the things that, that make me feel healthy. Um, and that make me feel grounded and make me feel ready to be really present. Um, so those are some of the things that I need. What's in your routine? Have you, I know you've probably talked about it, but what are your things? Um, my routine's been upended recently. Like since I moved to Baltimore, it was, I still haven't like recuperated. Um, but I'm getting back on it because of the new year. So I'm like using that to kind of jumpstart that habit change. So like getting to bed, like by 1030, not doing anything work related after nine. Um, I wake up, I'm trying to get my yoga habit back because I had it at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like doing it every single day for like half an hour and it was great. But then last March I was like, ah, do I need to do this? And then I stopped. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to get that back together. And then I usually do like my podcast work really early in the morning so I can have that like done for the day. And then I go on my rebounder, I go on a run and then I get my meals in. So those are my like big things that I make sure I get done. That's awesome. Yeah. When you do yoga, do you do just a workout video online or do you have like a community that you go to? I use the down dog app. I don't know if you're familiar. No, it's cool. Okay. Yeah. It's an, um, it's like a yoga app where you can like choose what you want in the practice, like what type of yoga you want, what level you're at and like how long it wants to be and like things like that. So I really like it. And it's right now, I think it's still free for students and health healthcare workers. So that's really good. Otherwise it's like $5 a month. So it's not like a lot. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to totally check that out. Yeah. 
I was doing glow for a little while. It was a little subscription where you can choose, um, it's through Apple TV or whatever, but you can choose, I only have time for 10 minute yoga or I have time for a 30 minute flow. And so that was nice because I could say I have a 15 minute window, give me a quick yoga routine. Um, but I haven't done that subscription in a while. And like you, I miss yoga. I miss, I, it's, it's the thing that goes for me too. And I know that all parts of my life are better if I've even just done a sun A and a sun B, right? Just around through that. Um, yeah. So it's a good reminder for me too. So do you do yoga every day usually, or you haven't been? No, I've been out of the routine too, which is why I'm going to download this down dog app right now. (laughs) We hang up. (laughs) I miss it. I mean, pre pandemic, I had a, uh, I love to do hot yoga. It's like my favorite thing ever. Um, and I had this studio right across from our house and I loved it. But then as soon as the pandemic happened, obviously I'm not going to go sit in the 108 degree room and no, that's just sounds terrible. Um, And so I miss, I miss doing yoga in a community, like with people in a community space. Um, I really, that was a big part of my life prior to moving to Boston. And then, um, since we've been in Boston, but since the pandemic, it's just, it's been hit or miss for me and I miss it too. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, how do you maintain your social media presence in a healthy way? Cause I know social media is a bit toxic. So (laughs) to do for that. Yeah. I've had a, a love hate relationship with social media as I think all of us have, especially in this work, right? It's this, you need it for your business. You need it for connection. You need it even just for the two of us meeting, right? Um, we wouldn't have found each other probably without Instagram, but, um, you know, I, I have gone through different iterations with my use of social media. Um, when I was, I would say that that eight year point, um, when I was going through that real, I need to figure out who I am and I need to figure out what, if, what, and if trumpet is going to be a part of this integrated joy part of me, I stopped, as I said, stopped performing and took a full break from social media, um, and closed down my account, which was only Facebook at the time. And really just took a, a, a real break, um, and unplugged and it was really helpful. Um, over the last eight years, I've gone through a few different ways of doing it. So when it was an obsession where I couldn't, you know, go to the freaking bathroom without having my phone always scrolling, I made my husband put parental controls on my phone. So I couldn't download the app and I couldn't go through the Safari browser and I couldn't log in on my phone. So I had to be on a computer and he's the only one that had my password. It might've been extreme, but for me, it was, I needed to break the cycle of the, oh my gosh, I'm not okay. Unless I've checked and I checked and I checked and I checked again. Um, that was one version. Um, I still have the parental controls on my Safari browser, but I'm doing better with the boundaries. And so I was never on Instagram. And then, um, my friend Meredith Height Estevez, who I mentioned earlier, who runs artists for joy, she said, you know, Ashley, if you're thinking about broadening, coaching the whole musician and reaching out to more people and letting people know about your work, Instagram is really the place to do that. And I was like, I don't want to join Instagram. I don't want to join TikTok or Instagram or any of the things I'm like, no. Um, and then I started just to realize that, um, this work is really important to me. And I love talking and sharing the 
everyday journey of how I'm growing and what I'm processing and what I'm struggling with. And I'm pretty much an open book really. Um, and I'm comfortable sharing things that happen in the moment that really can be useful to, to more people than just my husband and me. And so I said yes to Instagram and I said yes to building a little page and my boundaries with, with it for now is that I do post as if they're a part of my work day. I try to keep a boundary in the nine to five hour of if I'm going to do something that's related to coaching and this business and the things that I'm going to try to make sure that when I'm doing the writing or when I'm doing this kind of building of a post that it's done again during my normal work day. And then when I post, I try to close it, close it down and at least give it an hour to just sit there without me going like, Oh my gosh, who's checking? Is anybody checking? Um, (laughs) And so it's this, it's boundaries. It's, it's my husband saying, so in our house, this is another thing that we have three years ago, we bought literally, we looked up unplugged box on, um, online. And it's this like little wooden box that has like plugs in the back that you put your phones in when your work day is done. And it literally is like, it sits out on our kitchen counter that's on the side. And when my husband and I are finished with our work days, our kids have permission to take the phones out of our hand and throw them in the unplugged box so that, that we have separated from the, the electronic world and have gone into the real humans that are, you know, sitting here before us. And so that's, those are some things that have been helpful. Um, I try, I try to be, to practice so much self, uh, care and self love. If, if somebody says something that is, um, hurtful or is, um, you know, if I've said something online that, you know, I didn't know was, um, offensive. I think you've talked about this before too, to immediately, um, either take down or acknowledge and apologize. If anything that I've ever said, um, has, offended someone in some way. And so there's, there's this balance. There's this balance. I think of being fully authentic and remembering that we are not perfect and that we will make mistakes and that our job is to say, sorry, and to use others in our space to help us to grow. And so I've tried to use social media in that way as a way to share light and love and struggles and to normalize the stuff that we all are going through and feeling. But I think I always say Brene Brown is so good at articulating the things that all of us feel, but aren't are too afraid to say. And I feel like in a weird way, that's sort of what I'm trying to do and being in this musical space. It's this, like I had a crappy performance and this didn't go well, but this is the way that I'm processing that. And this is the way that I'm showing myself love in this moment. And these are the ways that I'm rewiring that schema that wanted to be you crappy trumpeter, crappy human. What's your problem? You must've not practiced enough loop into this loop of self-acceptance of I did my best. I showed up and I was brave right to those things. So yeah, sorry, I'm rambling a lot, but that (laughs) those are some of the ways that I have handled social media. Okay. Yeah. Those are really good ways. I need to get like a lot better at that. I am getting better, but it's, it's just, it's really difficult because it's so hard to get off of it once you get back on. Cause I was off for a while and then I started getting back on to maintain a presence and yep. then I get, I got sucked back into the, <laughs> so. 
It's so I true. started TikTok though. So I'm keeping that one off. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I'm always like, how are these people posting these videos with all the words that go by? And I'm like, TikTok. Nope. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see where we are in a year from now, Jazzy. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you never know. Totally. All right. So the last area I wanted to talk about was performance anxiety and how you might deal with that, like as a performer. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something I've worked on a lot and work on every time I pick up the trumpet in a stressful situation. Um, So I'll go through a few of the things that I do that are really helpful and, um, yeah. And just talk really openly about it. So I struggled and still do mildly with performance anxiety, especially as it relates to debilitating self-talk. It was the worst, just the worst. Um, so during that time that I did all of that CBT, I was really working on those, um, things. And, um, I would say for me that the first thing that really has helped is just free form journaling, especially in the, um, the realest and rawest way possible. So getting really, um, honest with the things that are on loop in your brain and putting them out on a sheet of paper. So you can see just how, um, terrible you are being to yourself there. And then to start to say, Ashley, if I'm writing a letter to you as your friend, what would I be saying to you right now? And I will start to write through affirmations and write through things that I know are true, write through things that I love about music and about the the gifts that I'm about to share. And this, this will happen a couple hours before a performance, or it could happen even in the green room before I go on where I'm again, just writing and reminding myself of who I am at my core and what I love about this gift and making sure that um, the mantras or the schemas or the things that I'm believing are the things that are going to serve me and the music and the intent that I have, which is to have this reciprocal, joyful energy with the audience that I'm in front of. Um, that's number one. Number two is of course, just the preparation. I was always a very haphazard practicer for a really long time. And I didn't have very structured routines. I just sort of practiced whatever I felt like in the moment and checked the box and did the hours, um, and survived for a really long time on my charisma on this ability to play fast and virtuosic stuff. Um, And I think it wasn't until it was probably 13 years ago when I first met my husband, Nate, and he being a scientist, and trumpet player. He did two degrees in trumpet before becoming a doctor. Um, He has been able to take me and my um, very charismatic and haphazard brain and help me to channel it into a structured, focused, discovery-like way of practicing and approaching preparation for recitals that I have coming up or performances that I have coming. And so my approach now to preparation is much more like solving a puzzle than it is, um, you know, this, like I put in my two hours and I played the trumpet and I don't know what I accomplished. So I, I do a lot of mental work. I do a lot of, of, um, in, in science, they call it the PDSA cycle, which is plan, do study act. So a lot of planning and studying and doing and trying and reworking the plan so that for me, it has shifted that schema, that, that mantra from what's wrong with you. Why did you crack that note again to what is there for me to learn? Where did I crack it from? 
okay, what does that mean in my habits that I need to shift? What do I need to do in order to make sure that the habits that I'm building are setting me up for consistency? So those, that way of practicing and of teaching my students as well has been really super helpful. Um, and it's been, I would say the thing that has helped me the most in, in consistency and in trust, because, you know, you can do all of this mental mantra work and all this affirmation stuff, but if you don't believe that you can play well, like it's not that, and you haven't done the work to show yourself that you're consistent and you have done this thing and you're ready to do the recital, it's still going to be hard. And so both of those things have had to really go hand in hand. Um, and I will say, you know, since I'm old, no, oldish, um, I have a lot of experience and hours now that it doesn't take me as long to practice as it used to. And so I can get ready for a recital now really quickly with the right kinds of habits, because I've been practicing in a really uh, methodical and focused habit building way for the last 13 years. Um, and so it isn't quite as hard. So those are some things. And then the other thing that we just don't talk about, which we have to talk about is just the excessive use of beta blockers in our fields and who should be using them and who shouldn't be using them and the, all the things in between. And what I say to at least coaching clients and also to myself is if this is a situation in which your body is going to go so much into fight or flight mode that it is not going to be possible for your mind to focus on any of these this mental training, mental resilience that you have built up and to trust the work that you have done. Um, talk to your doctor about the possibility of using these very sporadically for very isolated um, performances or auditions or things that are putting you in extreme circumstances that are not the normal way of being with musical sharing. Um, I was against beta blockers for a very, very long time. And, and it was probably, it was only maybe eight years ago that I had a performance of the toot suite, which is the, uh, there's like multi instruments and the piccolo movement in particular, I was just had a block. And every time I would pick up the piccolo, my body would physically just shake debilitatingly. I told my husband, I was like, I literally, am not going to be able to do this. I just can't. There's no way every time I have a, like a, uh, reaction and I can't get through it. And he was like, let's try it. And so for him being a doctor and me being a really petite female with low blood pressure anyway, he was like, Ashley, people overuse these. And, you know, so I'm going to make you do this here in our, our house so that I can watch what happens to your blood pressure and watch what happens to you in the moment. Um, and we did, and my blood pressure dropped a little. Um, and he was like, I think you're going to be okay. And so I tried it once on a performance and my husband said, you know, I, he'd seen me crash. He'd seen the debilitating effects. And he was like, that was actually the best performance I've ever, ever, ever witnessed of you. And I was like, I want to be like, shit. <laughs> Crap. Okay. Um, because it, it helped, it helped in that moment for that extreme situation. And so I just, you know, it's important to just say that there are times in which um, it can be useful. Doctors use it. Public speakers use it. We can use it. We just don't have to overuse it. And we don't have to, um, to depend so much on it that we're not showing up in this way that we can, you know, with all the other things that we can build. So, yeah, it's, I think it's important to talk about.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that, that tip you said about writing out like what you're saying to yourself and then like what you should be saying to yourself. Cause yeah, people talk to themselves like a lot worse than they'll talk to anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, Brene, you, you've read a lot of Brene that my favorite quote that I tell in every class I teach is talk to yourself. Like you would talk to someone you love. Do you know that quote? Yeah. 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 And it's that, you know, when you notice you're being terrible to yourself, you know, how can you show up in a space that reminds you of that's not how I would talk to someone that I love and someone that I care about. So what would I say to me if I were actually talking to someone that I really do love? Um, Yeah, this is a big one. I mean, you've talked about this so much on this show. And I think, you know, I think we spend so much time working on our craft and and working on our mistakes and refining the things that we do, um, that working on the mental resilience and the self-love and the self-compassion side is just overlooked so much in our, in our field. And I mean, I've told this story on a podcast before, but it's, it's so important. Um, my husband who went to Mayo medical school, um, had a visit from patch Adams when he was there. And Patch Adams said, you know, you are some of the most driven humans. You're here at Mayo Clinic Medical School and you're doing this work, but I'm going to pass out mirrors to all of you. And um, Patch Adams was known as a medical clown. He would go around and he would um, basically entertain kids in these different hospitals and just bring them joy. And and basically they noticed that the expression of uh, the true joyful expression and, and human connection brought these kids to life. Right. So he basically gave the, these, um, mirrors out to all of these medical people. And my husband said that Patch's instructions were, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love me. And my husband was like, I could not do it. I could not take that mirror and breathe deep and smile and say, you're beautiful. I love, I love me. (laughs) And it's, it was, you know, we talk about this all the time, but it's this, unless we are, are loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves and, you know, doing the things that are going to bring us life and looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, I'm here. I love me. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) Um, we can't expect that our lives are going to be able to extend easily out to others. And we can't expect that we're going to have tanks full enough to be able to give generously to others. And so we have to work on that really every day. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else you want to say? I've been talking all hour. I don't know what, is there anything else that you're curious about? Yeah. Is there anything else in my story that you're curious about or that your listeners might be curious about? Hmm. I feel like you went over like everything very comprehensively and like, there's a lot to gain from this episode. So I hope a lot of people listen to it. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're doing this work. I'm curious for you. What are you, what, when you think about, you know, your own path and your own life that's integrated with all these things that make you feel alive, what are some things that you hope that, that you're going to be continuing to do, you know, as you look to the future? Um, well, I want to continue this podcast, even though like, I, I don't have too many listeners, but I, I want it to grow and I think it can grow. So I'm just going to keep it going until it does yeah. grow. Um, 
And then I want to get the DMA because I'm going to be the first black woman to get a DMA in Tuba. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So those are like the two things primarily right now. There's like one thing I can't talk about on air yet. So, (laughs) but yeah. Um, So that's what I'm like looking forward to continuing my career. Like I want to start touring and actually being a performer soon. Well, I mean, not like actually being a performer because I am an actual performer. You are. Yes. (laughs) Being a touring <laughs> artist soon. So yeah. yeah. Are you gonna be at IWBC this summer? Yeah, I'm actually I have a recital there and I'm presenting a lecture. So sweet. Yeah. I get to see you in person. Yeah, that'll be nice. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. And then what do you think you'll do with your personal training and that fitness side of your life? Yeah, so because I got like I got a bunch of teaching jobs for this semester. Um cool. So it kind of like made me have to quit the other job because I wasn't making enough in it anyways, um, even though I enjoyed doing training. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep the certification going and then I'm going to use that as leverage when I'm trying to apply for jobs because people are on this like health and wellness kick in music schools. So like having that that license or not license certification, Mm -hmm. as well as like the experience I have, like doing this podcast, I think will definitely help me in that realm. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if you're interested at all in the life coaching thing too, but I've, you know, in the few things that I've listened to of yours, you have this knack for um, sharing questions that really do make people think and really do draw them out into this, this deeper unlocking of what's inside. So just a little, I'll throw out a little seed back at you, but I think you're all really so intuitive in that space as well. (laughs) All right. So where can people find you on social media? If they want to contact you, ask questions, get life coaching. Sure. Yeah. So my little coaching website is um, www.coachingthewholemusician. And if you are interested in signing up, um, you can do a free 30 minute discovery session with me, really Um, no strings attached whatsoever. Just sense of this could be something that would be useful. Um, and it will direct you to Longi's website, which is um, the my my link to the work that I do there. And that's how you would um, sign up. And then you can find me on Instagram. I'm new on Instagram, but we're doing the thing. And so it's at coaching the whole musician. And then on Facebook, I'm just me and myself. I'll probably eventually get a page for coaching the whole musician. It's coming this year and more integration things are coming this year. So stay tuned, but definitely follow me on Instagram and reach out on direct message, um, email. I'm really easy to find. My trumpet website is ashleyhalltrumpet.com and you can watch um, YouTube things there and read some about my, my trumpeting life. Um, yeah, so I would love to hear from all of you and reach out if I can be a resource in any way. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. That was a great conversation and I hope you gained as much from it as I did. Be sure to find Ashley on social media and check out her business coaching the whole musician. Then Please tell one friend or family member about this podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at The Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminepiggott.com. I'll see you next Thursday.
Thank mm-hmm. you.